Well, good morning, everybody. I'm going to walk up as far as I can until I hear something screech, and then that's probably the point where I'll stop. Um, but I think we should be good here. Uh, just to be a little bit closer uh, to you all and uh, shorten this gap a little bit. But thanks for coming out. We are uh, so uh, grateful to be here today and uh, for your presence with us. I also happen to be standing right in the sunniest spot that I think exists uh, here at the church property. Uh, tell you what we've learned, though. We did three outdoor services last year prior to coming back inside. And uh, 10 o'clock is not a very favorable hour in the middle of the summer on an asphalt parking lot. And so we moved it up to nine, uh, not only to help, uh, you know, you all inside of the events of your day and the schedule of your day, but also it's, uh, we're going to trust it's a little bit cooler, at least now, than it would be an hour from now. But uh, excited to be here this morning. Uh, to be with you all, uh, to have a combined service, uh, opportunity where we can see one another to celebrate the 4th of July. Um, you know, greater love has no one than this, and one would lay down his life for his friends, and whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And so we celebrate today the freedom that we have in Christ. We celebrate today the freedom that we have to be able to worship freely, that we could gather outdoors without fear of who might uh, drive by and see us, or who would spot us, or what the repercussions might be for our worship. And so uh, we proclaim that today, we rejoice in that today, uh, even as we continue to pray for our nation and to pray for uh, the ways in which we have drifted, you know, that God has been so faithful and yet oftentimes uh, we have not. And so uh, that's uh, why we gather today on this 4th of July uh, to not just thank God for what he's done, but to also trust that that same God uh, continues to lead us and guide us and uh, be with us. Uh, today is also uh, the first Sunday in July and you may not really think about this a whole lot, but uh, for me it comes up. Uh, this is uh, the beginning of the appointment year, and so I am uh, beginning today, year number five, uh, with you all as your pastor, and so I rejoice at that. I don't know if you rejoice at that, but that's uh, something that I think about. And so, see, and now I feel like I prompted that, you know, applause. No, 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 stop, stop, no. But that's, um, but, you know, keep that in prayer as well today. Uh, there are a number of uh, churches and pastors that begin new chapters and so uh, remember them in prayer as uh, kind of the appointment year uh, turns over. Exciting things that are coming up. Uh, Jack mentioned them uh, next week. Uh, we're going to be getting tons of communication out this week. Uh, 8.30 is not as big of a deal because if it's just a matter of turning left versus turning right in terms of the room that you enter. Uh, the time is the same. But for 11 o'clock people, if you come at 11 o'clock, you are... Well, I shouldn't say it this way. You're halfway done church because that might, you know, be an incentive like, oh, I forgot and, and wander in. But uh, you want to get there early uh, for the summer. We are uh, trying out 1030. Uh, we know that that uh, the one complication of that is it shrinks our Sunday school hour. And so I know there's a couple of classes that will be meeting from 930 to 1030. So we are 830 service, 930 classes, 1030. Um, we'll see how that works coming through the summer and then uh, decide into the fall. Uh, what we're going to be doing. Uh, but an exciting time inside the church as well as we, a uh, number of changes that are taking place uh, that you'll begin to see. There are going to be two new uh, nursery school classrooms next year. And so we are expanding St. John's uh, Nursery School, uh, just continuing to work on our youth building that, you know, there's youth space, that there's children's space. Um, even as we continue to do digital ministry, just what that looks like in the sanctuary as well as the FLC. Um, you know, just some exciting things that we um, are looking forward towards and working on during the course of the summer. Today we kick off a new ser sermon series, and I debated whether or not to 
just do kind of a July 4th uh, message or to kind of kick off the series, but a couple reasons. One, I think the subject matter that we are talking about today dovetails with the holiday uh, that we are celebrating. But I think, honestly, more than that, uh, our summer series is the Ten Commandments. And in order to get them done by Labor Day, we had to start today. So, I mean, that's, uh, I, could, I could talk about how uh, the first commandment, and hopefully that connection is made where the first commandment dovetails with uh, the day that we're celebrating today. But the reality is we had to start today in order to be uh, done by the end of summer. But uh, we're looking forward to inside of these summer months of uh, studying, of looking into the Ten Commandments inside of Exodus chapter 20 um, that, that become for us not just a list of do's and don'ts, uh, but they become really, uh, for the Hebrew people and for us, a glimpse into the heart and character of God. That is, God saves a people for himself and he brings them out of bondage uh, and creates for them and, and is taking them to a new land and a new inheritance and a new name and all the new things that God is doing. He says, I want to give you a glimpse into my character, into who I am, because I want you to live differently than the other nations. And so sometimes we run the risk of thinking that uh, the Ten Commandments is just this, uh, it, it's the list of rules like mom would put up inside of your house. But the reality is, it's an invitation that the character of our God can be our character. And even prior to Jesus and, you know, hundreds of years before Jesus, uh, God had that desire to be known by his people and that, his, that we can participate inside of his character, uh, that the Hebrew people were to be a peculiar people. And I think for us, you know, that God still desires that uh, we aren't just people who look like everybody else and resemble everybody else, but just bear the name Christian, but that there is something different about us uh, because the character of our God can become our character. And so that's what we're going to look at uh, over the course of these uh, next several weeks in uh, Ten Commandments and uh, hopefully, you know, apply them at a little bit deeper level of uh, how is it that God has designed us to live and to live fruitfully and faithfully and joyfully inside of the world uh, where he has placed us? So if you have your Bibles, uh, we don't have a screen. Uh, and so if you have a phone or a Bible, you might want to follow along with me. And uh, weeks in the future, we may just read uh, the one particular commandment that we are talking about that day. But today I want to read for you um, 21 verses out of Exodus 20 and uh, read the entire list. Exodus 20, verses 1 to 21. And God spoke all these words. That's important. This is not Moses went up on the mountain and came down. Sometimes we, we have that picture that Moses went up and he comes down. I have these 10 stone things. You should read it, study it, memorize it. No, God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in, in earth or in heaven above or in earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, 
nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days God made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that was in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land of the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male or female servants, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled in fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God may, be, may keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. A couple of interesting things that I mentioned in the beginning that this is God speaking. And, and in fact, you must hear this dialogue where the people said, um, we're happy to be in the presence of God, but not really that close. So from now on, Moses, could you go and get the word and then bring it down? Because if we listen to it and we're not paying attention or there's some sin we don't know about, you know, it's, uh, it's curtains for us. But why don't you go up and hear the word of the God and then you can bring it down and maybe it'll be a little bit safer for us. But these were words spoken directly by God to the people. They are never identified in scripture as the Ten Commandments. That is something, you know, that's a title that we've placed on them. And so the beginning of this passage was, and now I have for you Ten ten Commandments. Now I'm not saying then that they are not important or that they're not the Ten Commandments, but that's just a title that we give them. And so, for instance, when Jesus says, uh, you know, this is, you know, the first commandment and the second commandment, you know, to love the Lord your God and uh, as, you know, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Like Jesus identifies the preeminence of that commandment. But here, it's in the, in the, in the passage itself, it just begins with God spoke and said, this is how I want, want you to live. And then after this, from Exodus 21 to Exodus 40, is kind of the working out of what these Ten Commandments mean or the implications of that or, you know, the, then how you put that into practice. And so they are foundational, no doubt, uh, but the, the, the actual title, Ten Commandments, is something that we've placed on them. I also wanted to point out kind of in the beginning here that uh, this, these commandments come after God has already acted mightily. Exodus 20 comes after Exodus chapter 3 with the burning bush. It comes after uh, Exodus 5, 6, 7 where there's plagues, there's the release, you know, uh, they, they go through parted waters. They are now walking through the wilderness to the promised land. And so they are not where they ultimately want to be, but God has already acted mightily. And so in other words, these commandments are not, this is how you earn the grace of God. It's not, this is how you, you know, this is the path that you need to take if you want to escape bondage in Egypt and go to the promised land. This is not the list of requirements. This is for a people who have already been set free This is how you should live. It's the best way for you to live. It's the right way for you to live. It's the way that most resembles my character, the God who brought you out, the God who showed his mighty hand and his outstretched arm, the God who parted the seas. I want you to look like me. 
and to look like me, then this is a portrait of what that looks like. It's not the fullness. It's not, you can't summarize God inside of 10 statements. But this is the invitation based on what has already been done for you. This is how you should live. And so, man, a couple of years ago, we were on men's retreat, and Darren Shelburne uh, shared with us, uh, and, and really the, the beginning of the passage was, you know, living not for the well done, that we all want to live one day for those words from Jesus, well done, my good and faithful servant. But what if we lived from the well done, from what's already been declared true about us, and what's been declared true in Jesus, that from that then, it has implications for how we live, not because we're trying to measure up or earn God's love, or protect ourselves from being kicked out of the kingdom. But for a God who is mighty enough to save and to rescue me, it's worth my very life's response. And I think his design for how I should live is much better than my design for how I should live. And so the Ten Commandments were never meant to be a transaction as far as this is what you do, this is what you don't do. And if we do that, we're going to be on good terms. If you don't do that, we're not going to be on good terms. It goes much deeper than that to the heart and to the character of God. So the first commandment begins, and he simply says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You should have no other gods before me. What's funny is you don't often give a command for something that's easy. I have never had to give the command that says, do not eat all the vegetables on the first night that we bring them home from the store. Write it, you know, on there. You know, I I never had to write rules, you know, for things that were easy to do or automatic or weren't going to be temptations of things not to do. And so what's interesting is that when you go through beginning with, uh, let's start with Abram or Abraham inside of Genesis chapter 12 and you move through Moses uh, in the beginning part of Exodus the Hebrew people become a uh, monotheistic people. Once they found themselves in the presence of God, they become a people that worship one God, not many gods. And so Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, down to the time of Moses, the Hebrew people worship one God. And so why would there be a need here for the first commandment to say, you should have no other gods before me, when everything up till now has said, this is the one true God, the one who has led us out of Egypt, he's taken us to a promised land, wouldn't it be obvious? And sometimes that's what we think about this, that this is beginning with the foundation. First things first, no other gods. All right, check. Now we go on to number two. Where I almost think, let's take that a bit further or, you know, kind of an opposite perspective. Uh, I think he begins here for a reason. Because there's a tendency, especially the more prosperous we get, and you know that the more comfortable things got for the Israelite people, the more they turned away from God, not towards God. Often inside of my life, and I wish it were different, when things are rough, when things are tough, when things are uncertain, it is often easier to rely on God because sometimes there is no one or no thing else to rely on. But when life gets good, when life gets easy, when life gets prosperous, it becomes so easy to get distracted by the other things that I think bring me joy, bring me happiness, bring me fulfillment. And so I wonder if the reason the first commandment is here to say you should have no other gods because God knows that there's always going to be a tendency that the more he blesses them, 
we start God collecting and we start amassing other things to worship. The other night I went out to uh, Delanco camp because uh, the, the first camp began this weekend. We had an inspection this week and I had a couple of things I had to do and I wasn't even thinking about the day, but as I was pulling up to camp, I was probably two or three miles away. I thought about the date. It was July 2nd. Friday night was July 2nd. And I thought back, and the reason I remembered this was because uh, five years ago, July 2nd was on a Sunday, and Rachel and the kids and I and, and our parents were here. We left Sharptown North, where I was pastoring, and we went over to uh, Friendship Methodist Church in Monroeville because it was the 25th anniversary of the day that I gave my heart to Christ. And I, I remember that, and so the July 2nd date, you know, sticks out for me. Well, here I was driving to Delanco, and I didn't even think about it, but 30 years on that very night, it was a Tuesday night, I think, back in 1991, but 30 years ago, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ and became a worshiper of him there at the altar uh, of Delanco Camp. And so it, it, was, it was a powerful experience, and it wasn't um, you know, this great big emotional thing, but it was a reflective time for me as I sat there. Really, I was just going out to do some administrative tasks, but as I sat in the tabernacle and thought about what God has done over the last 30 years inside of my life. Do you know on that night 30 years ago, I became a worshiper of God. Before that, I might have been a God-fearer. I might have believed in God because my parents had always taught me to believe in God, even though we never went to church and it wasn't an active part of our, our lives. But on that night, it became personal, it became real, it became activated inside of my life. I became a worshiper. And you know what? Ever since then, I can honestly say, I don't think that I have turned away from my faith. I don't think there's ever been a point in time where I say, said, I don't believe. Or, you know what? In addition to Jesus Christ, let me see if I could buy this statue over here or attend this church over here, or adapt this religion over here, because if I want to cover all my bases, maybe I should not just be a Christian, but also, you know, believe in this and that and, and that and do everything that I possibly could. No, I, I think ever since July 2nd, 1991, I've been a follower and a worshiper of Jesus Christ. But I can also say, and your testimony would be this too, that since July 2nd, 1991, there have been times where I haven't turned away or turned my back on God, but I've been distracted. There have been times I've collected a few other gods along the way. They weren't statues that I bowed down to, but they were things that rivaled the place of God inside of my life. Because if you and I are meant to be worshipers, it's built into us that we will always worship something or some things. And oftentimes, the more prosperous we get, the more comfortable we get, we start God collecting. And so Louis Giglio wrote a book about worship. And Louis Giglio was a speaker, and he uh, founded the Passion Conferences, if you've ever uh, heard, about, heard of them. And when he talks about worship, he says, we are worshipers all day, everywhere we go. It's what we do. It's the way that we live. Worship is simply about value. The simplest definition, worship is our response to what we value most. It's about saying this person, this thing, this experience matters most to me. It's the thing that I put first inside of my life. 
And he goes on and he says, it might be a relationship, it might be a dream, it might be something that we've always wanted, it might be even something that has been a major blessing or a source of pleasure inside of our lives. But something that we've placed inside of our heart that this is first. Worship tells us what we value most. As a result, worship determines our actions and becomes the driving force for all that we do. And then he asks this question, so how do we know what we worship? And here's this quote. He says, it's easy. You simply follow the trail of your time, your affection, your energy, your money, and your allegiance. How do we know what we worship? It's easy. You simply follow the trail. You follow the trail of your time, your affection, your energy, your money, your allegiance. At the end of the trail, you'll find a throne. And whatever or whoever is on the throne is what's of highest value to you. On that throne is what you worship. I don't think the first commandment was simply just about, I want you to just worship Yahweh and, and forget about Baal or forget about all you know the other gods of the neighboring countries. I think the first commandment was to say, if, if the God who has the capability of bringing you out of Egypt, if the God who loves you enough to a, a to adopt you as a people and to care for you and prepare a future for you, if the God who created the heavens and the earth, if this God is big enough and large enough and compassionate enough and personal enough to be your God, then nothing else should rival me. And so it has more to do with what is important and where our allegiance is and where our focus is and where we draw our strength from what's on the throne inside of our life. And I could say, personally speaking, as one who gave my life to Christ on Tuesday, July 2nd, 1991, and experienced the call to ministry and went to college, went to seminary, and I've been in ministry now for almost 20 years. I don't know that I've ever wandered from God, but I think along the way there have been a few things that have threatened to take over the highest point inside of my life where Jesus alone is meant to occupy Louis Giglio says, follow the trail of your allegiance and your energies and your affections and your time. And at the end of that trail, you'll find a throne and you'll find the someone or the someones that sit upon that throne. And that trail never lies. We can say what we worship or who we worship or who our God is, but your life tells the story. How you live, where your focus is, what brings you the most joy, the most energy, speaks way louder than the words that you offer or where you show up on a Sunday morning. So God says, here's what it looks like to be my people. You should have no other gods before me. I alone am meant to be on the throne of your life. So let me just ask you this morning, what do you live for or who do you live for? Maybe to say it a different way is, what or who can you not live without? Who or what do you run to in a time of need? What causes your highest joy? What's at the center of your life in terms of your schedule and your budget and your emotions and your affections? God begins here because I think there is always the danger 
not to wander in terms of what we say is the God of our life, but there's always a danger of God collecting along the way inside of life. To begin to turn our attention from what we know is true to what feels right and true and important and significant and life-giving and powerful and the things that subtly and slowly take control of our lives. The problem isn't that we abandon our faith or that we join another religion. The problem is God gets moved off of the throne to second place or third place or fourth place. And you know when we do that, yes, it hurts the heart of God, but it also hurts us because I think he knows the best way for us to live, the most joyful place for us to live, the most fruitful place for us to live. And so today is about freedom, the freedom that we live inside of this country, but also the freedom that you are meant to live in Jesus Christ. And that freedom best comes when things are in their proper perspective. And when he's first, everything else seems to fall into place, not easily, not automatically, but they fall into place when the first thing is the first thing. And so Paul says in Galatians for freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore. It's interesting that freedom is declared to be true inside of our lives, and yet it's something that we continue to work for and cultivate inside of our lives. To daily choose to walk with him. Not doing what we want, but that the character and the heart of our God could become our character and our heartbeat as well. You were made to worship. You will worship something or someone. And right from the very beginning, he says, I want you to think about inside of your worship that you choose and you create space and you evaluate and you look and you say, who is really on the throne of my life? And it's a constant reminder for us that we choose to worship him and him alone. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for Revelation, we thank you that you're a God who wants to be known. We thank you for, that you're a God who uh, communicates w- with a finite people. And Lord, sometimes we don't understand that inside of your uh, eternal nature and your infinite nature, Lord, you communicate those truths to people who are fallen and fallible. And Lord, sometimes we don't get it. Lord, sometimes we think what it means to worship you is just that we say that we're a Christian or that we uh, believe that the Bible is true or uh, that we go to church. Lord, but subtly over time, it's possible that there are things that can rival you for the very center spot inside of our lives. God, would you help us? Would you help us to be a people today, to be a church today, to be families today that say we will have no other gods before you? That we will choose this day, as Joshua said, whom we will serve. That we will serve the Lord, that you will be at the very centerpiece. And that you will be on the throne inside of our lives. Lord, if there's anything else today that threatens to take the place that you alone were meant to occupy, Lord, would you give us the courage and the strength just to take it down? Maybe it's a wonderful thing and a great thing, but it deserves in spot number two or spot number three 
God, would you help us today to remove the gods that rival you for the number one spot inside of our lives? We thank you today for uh, the freedom that we have to worship you, not only inside of this country, but the freedom that you've given us in Jesus. Father, would you help us to be people who worship you and worship you alone? We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.